0: Well, this morning we're reading from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4 this morning. And you'll be able to turn that up in a, in a pew Bible, Acts chapter 4. We're going to read this whole chapter together. or We're going to read till verse 31 from the beginning. So Acts chapter 4. if you're reading on a pew Bible, the boys beat my toot on the desk. (laughs) If you're reading on a pew Bible, page 1095 this morning, page 1095. It's a great, great passage of Scripture, as every piece is, but here we get to hear this morning about how God was moving in the early church. So Acts chapter 4, and this is God's word to us. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem Anas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. And they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened, and for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests, priests, and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Servant through the mouth of your by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met to gather with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us here this morning. As we come to God's Word, please do open it with me to Acts chapter 4 this morning as we think about this passage and what God is saying to us here in this place through His Word. We praise Him that every time we read it, He speaks to us. So, Acts chapter 4. And from the outset, we want to say this really, really clearly. Salvation is to be found in no one else apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in this passage... Jerusalem was turned upside down. What about Lurgan? Jerusalem was turned upside down. What about Lurgan? A friend of mine was uh, changing his car during the week, and uh, he may or may not have been from Balamina, and this story will become clear whenever you <laughs> hear that he may or may not have been from Ballamina, he was changing his car, so he wanted to get the most out of the fuel tank as possible. So there were four miles left before he was about to take it to the, 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 the garage to trade it in, and he thought to himself, look, just enough time to have another rip in this car. So he put it on the sport mode, and he was about to rip her up, and as he was about to accelerate, the car clunked, and all the, the, the lights came onto the dashboard, and he had to pull her in. He says to himself, oh no, I've done it now, I'm just about to change the car, and all the dashboard lights have come on, but his car was telling him, pretty much, you're on fuel reserve mode, right? You're not allowed to use any more fuel, you're not allowed to have it in sport mode, or this car is not going get, to get you home. So he said he got it into the garage with two little bars on it, that probably meant that he had about half a mile left, and he thought that he'd done a great job because he got a car with three quarters of, of a tank full of fuel back, so he thought he'd saved himself about 70 pounds, hence the Volumina reference. But this morning, what I want us to think about just as we start this passage is, are we as a church, are we as Christians on this fuel-conserving mode, right? Are we at half-power? Are we just kind of ticking along, chugging along, spluttering along, half-power, not all in with Christianity? Because whenever we read Acts 4 here this morning, this church is not on half-power mode. It's not on a fuel-conserve mode but it is speaking boldly for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want Lurgan to be converted today, and each of us here will say, yes, we do. We want everyone in Lurgan to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Great. But what are we doing about it? You want 5,000 converts like there was here in Acts chapter 4? What are we doing about it? We want to see pubs closed and families mended that are broken. We want to see the spiritually dead brought to life here in our town. What are we doing about it as a church? We want to see this church be able to plant five more churches throughout this town and for the other denominations to grow and for their meeting houses to be filled, and for us to have loads and loads and loads of new members standing here at the front, and Nigel not knowing what to do whenever he holds a Christianity Explored class because we can't fit or find a a place big enough to fit everybody in. We want to see so many people coming under the sound of the gospel, and we'll all say yes, amen to that. Johnny Rhodes even managed to get a hallelujah at Keswick, I think, or someone gave him a hallelujah, or somebody spoke out and he said, that's unbelievable. But we would say that we want to see people saved and converted and to come under the sound of the gospel. But what are we doing about it? And see, there's a tension, right? We know this, that God saves people. It's God who opens blind eyes. It's God who works out salvation. But the tension, we know that that happens, but there's a tension then for us as well that we are vessels for him. We can't just sit idly by, but we have to be plugged in. We have to be active in this. And we see it here in Acts 4. Two men, Peter and John. What do they do? They speak, they teach, and they proclaim Jesus. 5,000 converts. We see it here right at the start of our passage. They're causing a bit of a stir. They've healed the man in chapter 3 that we thought about with the, the boys and girls, and uh, through the name of Jesus, and we see it in verse four, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. 5,000 people converted. So if we want to see our town change this morning, it's not gonna be through self-help programs and council leisure schemes and summer camps. The only way is through Jesus. So, what do we do? Well, we give our best friend Jesus Christ, don't we? We give our best friend Jesus. We give our spouse Jesus. We give our children Jesus. We give our neighbors Jesus. We give our friends Jesus. Isn't it amazing to see families where God has saved generation after generation after generation? Why? Because they bring each other to Jesus. You can see it here this morning in the praise group three generations of people from one family who are converted. Isn't that amazing? Friends here this morning from Canada that I trust they'll be welcome with us. They're over with us for the Gulf. Three generations converted. Testimony to our Savior. People say that our God is dead. Still saving people. So, this morning, what we don't want to do is we don't want to sell people short. We don't want to get them halfway there because this is what happens. We tell our friends or we tell our people or, or those who we come into contact with about Jesus a little bit and we show them ourselves. And what they see is someone who has got a nice shirt and a nice tie, or a Bible, or nice clothes on, and they think that we're just nice people. And if we leave it there, people, then we are selling people short of the good news of the gospel. So this morning as we parked around our church, and as we walked in, what did people see? Probably a, a nice enough car, and nice enough clothes, and nice people but we have sold them short if we don't get them to our Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't want to do that. So as a congregation, we must be convinced, and as Communicant members, if you're in membership here, you must be convinced that people's greatest need is salvation in Jesus Christ. That we're not just saying that, but that we believe it. That people's greatest need is salvation in Jesus. We thought about it a little bit with the boys and girls. People need Jesus. Many people have many things, but the one thing that they need above all else is Jesus. So, is that your conviction this morning in your heart and in your mind that people's greatest need is Jesus? There's a Scottish preacher, and he is so gripped by this, so gripped by seeing people saved. He wanted to see his congregation saved. And I'm not saying that I'm going to do this whenever I'm out visiting people, but this guy was so convicted about this. Really, really early one morning, middle of the night one morning, he knocks on one of his people's doors. First thing in the morning, like I'm talking like 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and bang, bang, banging on the door. And the guy opens up, slides up the window. He says, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's, what's happening? What's wrong? He said, if I'd have been death." Would you have been ready? Burdened by people's souls. Wanted to see people saved. Murray McShane, story is told of him as a little boy in the street. He, his mom, he gets lost from his mum, and his mum finds him in a corner and he's crying. Why is he crying? He says, mom, can't you hear that? His mum he says, hear what? He says, can't you hear all the footsteps of the people going past? His mom, he says, yeah, I can hear them going past. He says, but there are people that are walking closer, and closer to hell without our Savior. Burdened for people. Well, what I want us to see here this morning, the next chapter four, is this. That the power of the message of the resurrection, the power of this message is real, and it's still moving, and it's still active in our church, in this place, and in our town, and we want to see it grow. And if we want to see it grow, if we want to see this message change and transform us, well, then we've got to proclaim it. And we've got to be a people of prayer, and we've got to be a people of God's presence. God comes in power when God's people proclaim, pray, and are in His presence. So our first point, carry Christ with courage. Carry Christ with courage hear what's going on in this passage, right? The Sadducees are, are, and the Sanhedrin, they're all meeting together, and they're bringing this claim in verse 7 before them. They said, Wh- whose name are you doing this in, right? You've healed somebody. Whose name are you doing it in? Because they know if they answer this question wrong, then the death sentence is waiting for them. And this is the same mob. These are the same guys who had tried Jesus and had him convicted and put to death and condemned, So Peter and John are not just before some little tribunal here. This is death. This is the first pushback against the church. Now it was against Jesus. Now it's against the disciples. Now it's against this early church. And they stand before these men. What would our response have been? Somebody asks us a question, and you know that if you get the words wrong, you're going to be sentenced to death. We'd be paralyzed, wouldn't we? Look at what happens here. They stand strong for the Lord Jesus Christ and they make bold statements for Jesus Christ. Bold statements that they know could cost them their lives. Now, each of us are really good at making bold statements, especially if you're a teenage boy here this morning and you're trying to impress a girl. You're really, really good at making bold statements. Some of the teenage boys, you know, we could be the best version of ourselves ever, we can do anything. Or perhaps whenever we get a little bit older, we are able to boast about our pay packets or, or our business deals or whatever it is in our lives. We're really good at boasting, really good at making bold claims and rash claims. And then whenever it comes to our Lord Jesus Christ, the one that we're happy to proclaim and here and to exalt and to lift high, whenever it comes to him, we can be like little mice. What does Jesus say to us, you deny me, and I will deny you. And somewhere along the line, we have bought into this idea that, that as Christians, if we face some sort of hostility, if we face some sort of pushback, that then we just got to go and revert back and to shrink back publicly and privately. We, we respond to this pressure with, oh, well, just I'll, I'll let my life do the talking. I'll not put my head up. I'll not speak out. I'll just let my life be an example. I'll let my life be a witness. And yes, that is true. But the Holy Spirit does not empower people and save people for silence. He saves us to speak. So here's the Pharisees as they oppose Jesus for religious reasons and this church for religious reasons. The Sadducees, they oppose Jesus for political reasons. They deny the the supernatural, they deny the resurrection, they say that it's all made up. And what does Peter say right in the middle of it? Well, he goes straight for the resurrection, he lifts it, and he points it at them like a flaming spear, and he throws it at them. See how they use their mouths? Verse 1, they speak to the people. Verse 2, they teach the people. Verse 2, they proclaim Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Verse 4, People are changed because they heard the message. It's mouth and ears. Then in verse 10, as they stand before this tribunal that could put them to death, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then into verse 11, as if that isn't enough, you have crucified him, and his father has raised him from the dead, our God. Then verse 11, the stone you rejected has become the cornerstone. And Peter knows at this point that he's put all his cards out on the table, so to speak. They know exactly who he is. They know that he's proclaiming Jesus Christ, the one who has been raised from the dead, and now he goes and he goes straight for them. It's the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. How does Peter do this? He doesn't do it with arrogance or with pride. He's not shouting it at them. But he wants these men to see Jesus Christ. He wants them to see that he is the only name by which they may be saved. That as they say the resurrection is foolishness, that he points them towards life in Jesus Christ. Not from a a position where I'm better than all of you, but in a position of come and see. He gives them Christ. Why? Because he knows that it's either Christ Or it's hell for them he does it with a compassionate heart stirred by the holy spirit a plead a begging a desire for them to see the truth marvelous gracious but straight all of us like someone who's straight talking don't we we like someone to tell us how it is here peter does exactly that there's a story of a a methodist preacher in america a guy called Peter Carthright, and he was known as the Lord's Ploughman, a man, a Methodist minister who would travel around America in the 1800s, a really fiery minister of the gospel. He would say things how they were, and he was preparing to preach this one Sunday, and the meeting house was filling up. Loads, hundreds and hundreds of people coming in to hear him preach the good news of the gospel, and a deacon comes to him in the back room, in the minister's room, and he says to him, look, Peter, Mr. Carthright, Reverend Carthright, President Andrew Jackson, who's the seventh president of the United States, he's in the congregation here this morning. And Carthright was used to saying whatever he felt God wanted him to say, regardless of any man or their reaction. And the deacon warned him and said, look, let's not cause any offense here this morning. We wouldn't want to offend the commander in chief. So as Carthright came out, he stood up to preach and he said this, I understand that President Andrew Jackson is here. I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. Courage. Carthright came to him after the service. And he said, if I had my army full of men like you, he said, I could whip any country. but there's a real serious note to that, isn't there? Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. Insert our name here this morning. So carry on Christ with courage. We don't do it from a position of hierarchy, but we do it with passion, with our hearts breaking, with a lament for people so we go and we speak boldly for Christ, with courage. But here in verses 15 through 18, they're told, don't go and speak. You're not allowed to speak. Verse 20, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Passion. They're convinced of it. They're convinced about the power of the gospel. It is consuming them. It's all they want to tell people about. We cannot help but tell people what we've seen and what we've heard. Is your hearts inspired this morning? Or are they inspired as you come to church week after week and you hear about God and you hear about Jesus and what he has done for us and the power of the Holy Spirit and you see little ones coming to know him as Lord and Savior and you see families generation after generation changed. Is that something that inspires your heart so that you go out into the workplace or to your neighborhood the next day and you say, look, I, I can't help but tell you what happened in church on Sunday morning. Our God was so good. The person who was mourning was comforted. The one who was sick was encouraged. The one who didn't know him was brought from death into life. These men speak because it consumes them, and they love to talk about Jesus, their Savior. They carry Christ with courage. And then verse 13 is beautiful. Verse 13 Peter and John's companionship with Jesus had totally transformed them. We see it here. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. They recognized it. Underlying all of this passage is this idea of presence. Presence. That these men were present with the Lord. This early church had been present with the Lord. They were in the Lord's presence. And because they were in the Lord's presence, there was power in their midst. This power flowing out from on high. Flowing out. Why? Because they were proclaiming the word of God. And as they proclaimed the word of God, they were praying for the word to go forth. And underlying all of it was this idea of presence. power, Proclaim, pray, and presence under it all. Presence with the Savior. Power flowing through the preaching and the proclamation of the word by prayer, undergirded with the presence. And our second point is this, very quickly as we close. Come to the Father with dependence. Right? So we carry Christ with courage. Come to the Father with dependence. We come before our Father and we say it like this early church does that we we give it over to you, Father. It's all to do about you. So the first pushback comes. What do Peter and John do? They speak boldly for Christ. They carry him with courage, and then they go back to their friends, and we pick it up there in verse 23. You can see what happens. They go back to their friends, and what do they do? They lift up their voices, verse 24, in prayer, and they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit. They adore God. They say that he's in control. And then what do they ask for? They don't ask for safety. They don't ask for protection. What do they ask for? They ask that they would have power to speak his word boldly. That we would speak it boldly. That we would not shrink back. And then what happens? Chapter 5 verse 14, on the back of this meeting, on the back of this prayer gathering, on the back of this, uh, this desire to speak boldly for Christ and him answering it in verse 31, then multitudes of men and women are saved in chapter 5, verse 14. So as we close here this morning, do you believe that God saves? Do you believe he saves? Genuinely, do you believe? Are you convinced that God saves people? 5,000 converted, two preachers, two proclaimers of the word, one risen Savior, and a whole empire is transformed. Because everybody goes out from this meeting in verse 31 and speaks boldly. It's not just Peter and John. It's not just the minister, but it's everyone. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. As we leave here today and as we go out into the world, what do we need? We need our people, Christian people, to speak God's word boldly, to speak it boldly, that we cannot shrink back, that we cannot bend and change. But because we are convinced that Jesus saves, then we go and we proclaim. Verse twelve. Take verse twelve with us. Write it, learn it. Salvation is found in no one else. You want to carry God's word, carry this. And friend, if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, all the things that you've heard this morning are a little bit strange and confusing. I ask you this. What name are you relying on? What name are you relying on that will save you? It'll not be your mum or your dad's name. It'll not be your granny or your granddad. It'll not be the minister here, Nigel. The only name that saves this morning is Jesus. And that's why we sing about him. That's why we have joy in our hearts, because he's the one that saves. So come to him this morning. If you don't know him, come to him. See the power that he works here in this passage. See how he changes and transforms. Come and know him and claim him, claim his name. We go here this morning. We carry Christ with courage we come to the Father with dependence. We have power because of proclamation and because of prayer and because we are in God's presence, so we're not on a fuel-conserving mode here this morning. We're all in, ready to go out so we can gather more people in here. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for Acts chapter 4. Lord, we've, we've only begun to scratch the surface of it. Such an encouragement. So many things going on. People speaking boldly for you. You protecting them. The, the world pushing back. People meeting for prayer. Amazing things happening. People coming to faith in you. And Father, we hunger and we pray for it here in this town and across our land that you would revive us once again that people would see their need of a Savior, that they would see that they're sinners, and that they would see your beautiful grace and your forgiveness. Father, encourage us, help us to carry your word forward with courage, that we would be dependent upon you, and that we would see your power at work here in this place as your word is proclaimed by each and every one of us as we go to prayer, and as we abide in your presence. Bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.